Hope you guys had a wonderful, wonderful, great week. Uh, our Advent series that we just wrapped up, that was really fun for me uh, and for Heidi uh, when she got to preach her first sermon. Um, uh, in particular, I think I had the most feedback a few weeks ago uh, on the message that we did that looked at the Christmas story from the heavenly realms where the spiritual battle was taking place. And we read through Revelation 12 as a part of the Christmas story, kind of pulled back the curtain on the war that was happening in the heavenlies when Jesus came as an invasion into the enemy's seat of power here on earth. Um, can I show you out of that one of my favorite Christmas cards that came from that? Can I show you that up on the screen here? Yeah, right there. There it is. There's Mordor, a dragon chasing a pregnant woman, and have a Merry Christmas. Isn't that good? One of, our, one of the teenagers here made that and gave that to me as an actual Christmas card. It was wonderful. So, um, <clears throat> Merry Christmas. Yeah, okay, get that off the screen. That's disturbing. All right. But Christmas was fun, and um, there's this letter that went out that was... I didn't quite know about, and I haven't been here long enough to remember this happens, but there's a love offering for our staff, and so on behalf of our staff, to all the people of Hope, uh, thank you for, our generos for, our, for your generosity toward the staff, um, Heidi and myself, and, and Troy, and uh, Will, and Shelly, uh, Pat and Taryn, we are all really grateful for your big, generous hearts, and I'm really proud of our staff team, these, these guys have done an amazing job this year and pulling things together and helping us move forward. And thank you to you guys for your generous love offering toward our staff. Uh, we all really do feel love. So thank you for that. Um, thank you. All right. So did any of you, um, I mean, that was a great gift. Did any of you get a great gift? Anybody just wave your hand. You got a great gift at Christmas here. You better raise your hand if somebody next to you. Yeah. Just, okay. That was a bit of a setup there. Um, I, one of my favorite gifts that I got this year was not, I got some great Christmas stuff, but it was not at Christmas. Um, it actually was connected to something I was talking about here at Hope uh, months ago. We talked about how Hope is a family, not a business, and the idea behind that was that in a family, we look around, we notice what needs to be done, then we jump in and do it. And on that week, I used kind of the illustration of, of how uh, every week at Hope here, it's kind of like Thanksgiving dinner, right? You know, at Thanksgiving, when I show up at the family party, um, I walk in the door and I peel potatoes. Like, that's my thing, right? Now, remember, I'm not a professional potato peeler, right? It's, it's not one of my spiritual gifts, um, even for crying out loud, you know? Like, I'm a pastor. I know stuff about the Bible. So why should I get stuck peeling potatoes, right? That's a waste of my gifts. <laughs> Just kidding, right? See, you know, I, I said I peel potatoes because I'm passionate about family. Not because I'm passionate about potatoes. I'm passionate about family, right? And that's how we roll here at Hope. It's a family we all pitch in. So out of that kind of illustration a couple days later, I got this an, a, a gift, a great gift. It was an, an anonymous delivery from Amazon, and it was this. We'll put it on the screen here. Look at that. An electric Rotato Express potato peeler. I mean, that thing was fantastic. And it works, by the way, because at Thanksgiving, my son Noah took it over to Grandma and Grandpa's, and they used it to peel potatoes. They said it worked like a charm. So, But what a fun gift. I mean, it turns out that Corey and Joanna Allhands ordered it from Amazon and sent it to me, right? And I think they actually ordered it probably during the sermon, right? <laughs> Isn't that the nicest thing, though? Yeah, you guys. Very kind. And so I got to thinking about this, and 
well, you know, hint and you shall receive. So um, I I've wanted to own a Corvette ever since I was a little kid. So if you have one just laying around your garage, you can park it at my house. Black would be the preferred color. So maybe a little big. Was that too big? Right? All right, I'll try to stick in the future to stuff that you can get on your phone during church and get me on Amazon, right? Well, last Sunday was the final week of Advent, and we decided to leave the candles and the Christ candle lit uh, for, this, for this week as we wrap up the year. Last week, we focused on God's love for us at Christmas, and I, I touched on a story, a parable of Jesus that he had once told, but it was just kind of a part of the message, and, and if you know anything about me, it drives me a little crazy to just skip all these wonderful parts of Scripture without getting into the depth. So this week, I decided I want to go back to that parable of the vineyard owner and workers. And instead of just hitting a couple of highlights, I want to go deeper with this story. Is that okay with you guys? Is that okay? I mean, honestly, if it's not, that's too bad anyway, because that's all I got. So... Um, and real quickly here, the first verse of Matthew 20 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like, and I just want to explain real quick, Matthew's gospel uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven, where the other gospel writers say the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons why he uses that word is that it was mostly a Jewish audience that he was writing to. And because of their reverence for the name of God, of Yahweh, they, he would interchange words. And so in Matthew, when he writes, For the kingdom of heaven is like and he explains it. Um, he's saying the same thing as the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, it's the, the same thing. And we just don't want to think that when we see kingdom of heaven, we, we don't want to think, oh, this is what heaven is like. Um, he's talking about the reality that comes, the kingdom of God, the reality that comes when God's rule, his kingdom, is in place. He's saying things, this is the way things work in God's system, in his rule and reign. So, here we go. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, which would be 9 a.m. our time, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you go and do, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you eh, whatever's right. And so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, which would be noon. And then again in the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. About the 11th hour, which is 5 p.m., he went out and still found others standing around and asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, okay, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard came and said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going back to the first. The workers who were hired at the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired were, last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. 
I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And then let's read this, read this last verse out loud together. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Anybody ever hear that said before, right? And oftentimes we forget that it's connected to this particular story right here. Um, let's, let's open our hearts this morning. Let's ask God to uh, transform us, and will you pray with me? Father, thank you um, that you told us vivid illustrations, beautiful pictures through Jesus that didn't leave us in the dark as to how your story, your kingdom, your reality works. I pray that this message today uh, and your story would go deep into our hearts. We give you permission and access. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, Jesus is brilliant. He's a brilliant teacher. Um, the stories from the life of Jesus that he tells, these parables, they illustrate what the kingdom of God, the story of God, this, this way of life that Jesus invites us to live in. And, and he shows us the way that things work in his reality, his story, are radically different from how things work in the kingdoms of this world. Now, has anybody else ever heard the story that I read here from Matthew 20, the parable of the vineyard owner and workers? Have you heard this story before, right? So let's just, you know, imperfect people allowed here, honest people preferred here. Um, be honest here. Does that story bug anyone else here besides me? Does it kind of bug you a little bit? Some of us, yeah? I mean, it's okay, kids. It's all right if we have honest discussions about the Bible. Lightning's not going to strike. You're okay, right? It's, it's all right here. It, 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 yeah, it, it's a little disturbing depending on the day, really. <laughs> But let me kind of set up the story here. What happened before Jesus tells this story um, is Jesus is hanging out and he's talking to his disciples. And they are saying to him essentially, hey, Jesus, listen, we have given up a lot to follow you. So do we get to be the big shots when, when you set up your government and make Israel a superpower again? Because their assumptions about what the Messiah was there to do was very different than what Jesus actually came to do. So they want to know, where do they get to be in the kind of power structure of Jesus' government? Do we get to be the big shots, right? <clears throat> and to their question, do we get to be, be the big shots? Jesus answers, for the kingdom of heaven. It's like a landover, landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Now, just pause there for a second. Can you imagine being the initial disciple, the one that asked this first question of Jesus? Hey, hey, do we get to be big shots? And this is Jesus' answer. Right, like, if I'm that disciple, I'm thinking, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wasn't that a yes-no question that I asked there, right? Can't these rabbis just answer us straight once in a while? But Jesus describes a scene, and this scene actually isn't too foreign for those of us that live here in Arizona. It looks a lot like what I used to see when I worked in, in Mesa. Um, I would drive into Mesa along Stapley or Mesa Drive, and usually somewhere along Broadway or so, there were day laborers that were standing out on corners, and, and they're there hoping for work that day. We have some areas in Chandler like that as well, and they're day laborers. They're just looking for one day's work usually, and similar to what we have here, back in the first century, there were places where day laborers would gather to seek work. 
how many times these folks, these workers who are out there, they live at or near the poverty level, and most of the time, when they do get a job, it just lasts for that day, just one day, that's it. Now, can you imagine the stress of having to go out every single day, right? Needing a job so that you could buy food for your family for just that night, or maybe pay the rest of the rent that's already late, and, and you know when you go out, if you don't come through, kids are gonna go hungry, maybe you're gonna get evicted. Like, that's, that's some stress, that's not a lot of fun. And back in Jesus' day, same scenario, right? And this season they were talking about was working in a vineyard. And so harvest time for any farmer anywhere, it's hectic, it's a demanding season, and harvest time in Palestine in particular, the grapes, grapes have to be picked, and oftentimes that season the temperatures are 100 degrees plus, but it's got to get done, right? So group number one gets hired, right? They're all standing around. The group that gets hired first that's there for the, the first hour, they call it. Um, they were promised the pay of a denarius, which was the daily wage of a Roman soldier. Now, that probably doesn't mean a lot to us, um, but back then, being a Roman soldier, while it wasn't the most pre prestigious of, of jobs, uh, it wasn't the most glorious job, but it was higher up the social ladder and the pay scale than the common laborer. So it, got, it was way more than minimum wage. So when they were promised a denarius, they would have been really excited about this. They would have been probably even blown away by the kindness, the generosity of the vineyard owner. Wow, he's paying me way more today. So there they are, the 7 a.m. workers. They're thankful that they have a job for the day. And not just that, but they get a wage that is higher than they usually get. It's going to be a good day until it comes time to get paid. Right? But they don't know that yet, so it's still a good day. They're really grateful, and, and, and here, let's have some fun with this. Um, where's Dalton? Dalton, I need you to round up seven people, including yourself, and come right up here. Heidi, you're a good recruiter. I need you to grab eight people. And just come, come on, you got to go fast. Just grab them. People, raise your hand if you're willing to come and be a part of the, the test group here. Otherwise, he'll just grab you and pull you up. Look at that, Dalton. Heidi got seven, eight right there. What's up with you? You got three, four, five, six, one more. Come on. Oh, Wendy rolled her eyes. Just because. All right. All right. You guys all kind of cluster together. All right. So let's imagine that these are our, these are our laborers over here, right? Um, so how about I'm going to hire the first batch of people. So let's, let's take, uh, well, Mike, you look fairly strong. So let's take Mike. Come on, Mike and Dalton, you'd be a good laborer. You'd be really good. I don't know, who else should we draft over here? Who looks like a good, hard worker here? Hey, Seuss, why don't you come? All right, here we go. All right, these are my guys, right? These are the 7 o'clock first shift dudes, right? Now, when these three here get selected for the 7 a.m. start of the day, that's not really fair either, right? Like, why these guys? Why them? But at this point in the day, I'm sure, hey, they're, they're, you know, since they got picked, they're not complaining now, right? Was it fair? Probably not, but they're not complaining, are they? Now, John Claypool's a pastor, and he notes that we don't tend, we don't tend to uh, complain about fairness when something goes our way, do we, right? Huh? Anybody here ever play poker, right? 
okay, the player that gets four aces rarely calls for like a misdeal or a redeal. Like, oh my goodness, look guys, this isn't fair to the rest of you. I've got this incredible hand. I think we need to reshuffle and start over, right? Throw my aces in. Yeah, nobody does that. Claypool notes that um, our sense of justice is highly subjective. <laughs> right? Right? We see that? Our sense of justice, highly subjective. Now, again, we'll have you guys hang out here because, you know, you're, you're working hard. I'm sure of it. <clears throat> Every day. Every day. Now, um, these guys here, uh, you know, the Jewish work day began at 6 a.m., so it kind of explained this first, third, whatever hour. So 7 a.m. was the first hour. Anybody want to guess what time the third hour was? 9 a.m. We got math geniuses up here. All right, the sixth hour was noon. The ninth hour was three. Very good. The eleventh hour would have been five o'clock. You guys are really, really good, right? So here we go. This is how the workday went. So a couple hours after the workday starts, the vineyard owner, he needs more help. So over here, he heads back to the marketplace at 9 o'clock, finds these workers still haven't been hired yet, and says, all right, here, you three, come on over here. You three, one, two, three. You guys, come on. Come on over here. You three help in the vineyard. Come on. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Now, differently than the first three that got hired, differently than these three, these ones weren't told how much they're going to get paid. They just said, I'll pay you whatever's right. And they must have trusted the heart of the vineyard owner, and they're like, hey, good enough for us, and so they go to work. Now, these workers no doubt trusted the owner as a man of his word, again, because they already, these three here, the seven o'clockers, they knew what they were getting, but then these guys were going to trust. Now, this pattern continued so that, all right, you next three, let's come back at noon, and I'll take the next three right here, come on over and work in the vineyard. Yes, we got more happening here. And then, um, let's see, oh, we got more people than I thought. All right, so then uh, three o'clock comes around. Let's take you four. You guys come. Come on over, work in the vineyard. I wonder why they were still standing around at three and five o'clock, right? <laughs> we're still playing cards. What are we doing, right? Probably didn't want to go home and face the fact that we didn't make any money today. Now, here's kind of the crazy part is these last group, he comes back and says, all right, you're still standing around? Nobody's hired you. All right, come on. Come and work in the vineyard. It's 5 o'clock. The workday's over at 6. And these guys get hired as well. Now, it's at this point in the story, the 5 o'clockers that come over, that the whole parable kind of takes a dramatic turn. See, by, by 5 o'clock, this work would have been winding down in the vineyard. Anybody still waiting for work at this time of the day, I mean, they probably had lost hope by now. But this day, this day was a different day partially because of the generosity of the landowner. It shows that he's not just interested in getting the work done. He's not just interested in his vineyard. He's also interested and he cares about people that are in need, people who are unemployed. Now, remember here, as we get ready to move on here, all day workers, these ones hired here at 7 a.m., they knew what they were getting into. They were grateful. They negotiated this wage of a denarius. But all the rest of them here in the pile, the rest of them went to work without an agreement, choosing to trust the goodness of the master. All right, let's give them all a hand as they go back to their seats. Thank you, thank you. It's not payday yet, bro. It's all good. Credit card. 
Credit card. Get your swipers. We'll Venmo you in just a minute here. All right, so this part of the story comes along, and here, here's the curveball, right? The, the wacky part of the story here, verse 8, evening comes, the owner says to his foreman, hey, call the workers and pay them their wages, begin with the last ones that were hired, and go on to the first. The workers who were hired at that 11th hour came in, the 5 o'clock people came in, and each received a denarius. And so the others were waiting as this went in reverse to getting paid. And the first ones that were hired thought, oh, well, this is going to be great. They expected to receive more. But each of them also received the denarius. And this whole idea was kind of crazy. I mean, the first kind of weird thing to the culture would have been, wait a minute, why did he pay the last ones hired first? But remember how this story uh, ends. The last will be first and the first will be Last. So Jesus is illustrating this whole deal here. Now, when the men who had worked just one hour came to be paid, the five o'clock people, can you imagine like how blown away they would have been to receive a whole denarius? And then the three o'clockers came in and they too got a whole denarius? And then the noon group and the 9 a.m. group and then finally the 7 a.m. group and all the workers got paid the same, but it was when the last group got paid that all heck breaks loose. Now, I can imagine that most of us might, you know, relate to the laborers who worked all day. Like, how would they have felt when everybody got paid the same? Like, if I was standing there as a 7 o'clock person and I was watching everybody else get paid first, the natural thought, I think, would be, hey, if the owner gave the rest of them a full day's wage for working like an hour... Those of us who have worked for, you know, 11 hours, we stand to rake in some big jingle. But their hopes were dashed when they all received the same pay again, verse 11. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Right? Didn't he? He did. And so the all-day workers were steamed, you know? This isn't fair. One, one parent says that's the other F word in their house. It's with the children, right? Just isn't fair. Because we have this heightened sense of what is fair and not, and it's very subjective to what we think. But the owner says right here, hey, hey, there's no injustice. I told you I was going to pay you this at 7 a.m., and that's what I paid you. We both lived up to our sides of the bargain. He says, take your pay and go. Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? I mean, think about that, what he said right there. What the landowner paid the other laborers or what the landowner did with any of his own money, it's nobody else's business. I mean, if the landowner said, hey, you know what? I'm feeling really generous today. I want to give half of my wealth to one of the workers. He wouldn't be unjust. We would probably be like, wow, what a generous guy. And then again, we'll read that last verse that Jesus ends this famous story with this famous phrase. So the last will be first. The first will be last. So I read a story like this, and you know, what, what do you suppose Jesus was saying to the hearts of his listeners, both right there, his disciples, and to us? 
And I remember talking with a friend about this, and we both confess that we totally relate to the 7 a.m. guys, right, pretty well. And personally, as a um, recovering type A, recovering type A, controlling, demanding, hardworking guy, I'm pretty sure that I would have been, you know, hopping on the bus at 6 a.m. to go to work, like, hey, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to push myself to the limits, and I'd be waiting with everybody else and starting at the beginning of the day at 7 a.m. when I got hired, I would have been super grateful. Whew, oh, I've got work today. I'm really glad he picked me. I mean, I'd have been relieved that my family would eat tonight. I would be thankful that the vineyard worker was, owner was also paying me more than I usually make on a given day. Like, oh my goodness, I have to remember to thank him when he pays me. I mean, maybe we'll bake him some cookies tonight or, or buy him a six-pack. I've got to be really... Of Pepsi, of course, by the way, the people thinking. But I'd have been grateful, like, what can I do to show that? <laughs> what can I do to show that I'm grateful? I'm really grateful because this is going to be a good day at 7 a.m. This is going to be a great day. And then the clock winds around at 9 a.m. Oh, these other helpers are showing up. Great. Oh, I'm so glad they're here because uh, I was worried, like, how are we going to get the work done? And then at noon, more showed up because how are we going to get all these fields taken care of? It's hot out here. The grapes are going to die. We got to get this work taken care of. And I'm exhausted by 3 o'clock when more workers come. I'm glad for reinforcements. And holy cow, even at 5 p.m., this group shows up. Whew, I am tired. I need rest. It's a good thing. Reinforcements have arrived. Oh, what a fantastic day, right? Oh, it's been a great day. But all of that would have changed really, really quick, right? Probably like, you know, 5.59 p.m. <laughs> when the owner started paying the 5 p.m. latecomer guys first. I'd been like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Is he confused? Why are they getting a full day's pay? She better not run out of money, right? Then the 3 o'clockers get paid, and the noon and the 9 a.m.ers get paid the same, and I would have figured, well, you know, I better be getting a huge bonus. I mean, if the dudes who worked one hour got a full day's pay, I'm sure I deserve 10 times that much. So again, I understand why they were ticked, because it really doesn't seem fair, does it? But follow the pro progression that happened. A whole day of being really, really thankful, grateful, glad about this, for this day's work, and then instantly from grateful to ticked off at the unfairness. And I wonder, I wonder when the, when the gratefulness of that 7 a.m. workers, when that group, when did that gratefulness start to just slip away? I wonder at what point in the day they slipped out of seeing the grace that they were experiencing. See, I believe, and I think, that that happened when they started to believe that they deserved better than what they were getting. When they saw what someone else got, well, then they wanted more. See, friends, I know this from experience. When we take our eyes off of grace, we become sour, we become dissatisfied, we become seven o'clock people. Poof, the gratefulness is gone. Think about this maybe in, in, in your life or the life of someone close to you. Uh, maybe you loved your job when you first got it. You loved it. 
But now, a year later, you can't believe some of the people who've been promoted ahead of you. Now your supervisor's an idiot, and they don't appreciate you, and now you're not being paid enough. Why them and not me? That's the attitude of a 7 a.m. person. Or maybe you got married. You were so happy, so grateful. But now you look around, you see these other couples. They've got a nice house. They've got two new vehicles. They have extra money to travel. And, and well, why them and, and not me? Poof. We've taken our eyes off of the grace of what we do have. Here's a great real-life one that I remember <laughs> from me. Let's say that you moved into your first home. You were so grateful, so thankful for the blessing of that first home. And a few months later, you go over to your friend's home. And their house is, you know, bigger, huh, cleaner, decorated. It's newer. They actually have furniture, not just beanbags and futons from the grubby couch in your old college dorm. I mean, well, why them and not me? And gratefulness gets shoved into the closet. Someone else gets a raise. Someone else gets promoted. Someone else's idea gets listened to. Someone else is praised by the boss. And well, I'm, not, I'm not appreciated around here. Right? And poof. I've used this quote before, but it bears repeating. Again, John Claypool, he says, A foolproof recipe for misery is comparing oneself to someone else. Isn't that true? Think about your life for a moment. Foolproof recipe <laughs> for misery. I mean, I know in, in my life that my wife Heidi is a gift from God to me. Some of you know that your spouse, you've got one that's really good for you. Unlike me, your wife might not be perfect, mine. <laughs> <clears throat> She's sort of smiling. Okay, all right. But, but, but you know, like you know, right? We all have our stuff. Every couple has their stuff. None of us are perfect, but, but you have somebody maybe that you, you know God put them in your life. They're really good for you. Maybe there's even times in your relationship where you easily see the grace of God and how he gave you your husband or your wife. But even in that, the problem can be if, if we start comparing, you know, us to, you know, how we're doing compared to how, well, how... Johnny and Sally, they fit together so well. And then we start to go, well, why them and not me? I promise you, and I know this from experience of myself and people that I've met with and counseled, I promise you, when we move to that comparison deal, that you will lose all the joy and gratefulness that you have about your marriage, and you start to only focus on areas where you as a couple have issues and problems, quickly forgetting the good parts, forgetting the grace, and then you quickly become miserable Poof. See, friends, life is a gift. It's all grace. Your body, your mind, your wealth, it's a gift. You know? But if I start to compare, I mean, if I start to compare my wit to Bruce Heimke's, right? Huh? I'm in trouble. If I compare my wealth to Bill Gates, um, or my strength to Dalton, or my waistline to our worship leader, Troy. That, that might be worth making that comparison for motivation, but 
When I start comparing, why them and not me, very quickly I'm no longer grateful for what I have. Like I become so dissatisfied with what God has given me. I lose sight of the gifts and the grace that's all around me. I just don't see it anymore because I'm comparing. And the truth is, friends, at times we are all those 7 o'clock people, those 7 a.m. people. We think that we deserve more. We think, hey, listen, I've worked hard. <laughs> I've worked hard, not, not just all day, but for, for years. Like, I deserve this. I deserve better. If we've walked with God for a while, if we've been a Christian for a while, it can be really tempting to fall into that line of thinking. It's part of why Jesus was telling this story, to remind his disciples of one of the powerful truths of how life works in his kingdom. See, because the truth honestly is that, that most of the time we are all actually five o'clock people. Because friends, we've been given grace, a gift that we don't deserve, that we cannot work for. We've been given grace. And we like to see ourselves as, as people who have worked hard all day. We want to be that group. We don't like to see ourselves as the add-ons at the end of the day. We'd rather see ourselves as responsible workers. But guys, God doesn't give any of us what we deserve, does he? Like out of his grace, God gives gifts. Like he gives us the life, the love, the forgiveness that none of us deserve. He opens a way for us to live in his kingdom. That's a gift that none of us deserves. He invites us to become followers of Jesus, an invitation none of us deserves. And he loves us with an inexhaustible love, a love that none of us deserve. So friends, we are all end-of-the-day add-ons. We are all five o'clock people. The first will be last. The last will be first. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's who gets the kingdom. And really, if not for what Jesus did on the cross to change everything, if not for that, if, if, if we were all paid what we deserved, we'd get nothing. And that includes the good performers who don't sin so much, as well as those of us, like me, who blow it over and over and over again. See, without the grace of Jesus, if any of us were paid what we deserve, we get nothing. So in that way, grace even has kind of an edge to it, especially if we prefer to think of ourselves as the in-crowd with an inside track to God's favor. We see grace this way. It's actually kind of challenging, maybe even disturbing because if we're honest, we might even have to admit that sometimes grace scandalizes us. It's very different to how we do things. See, grace is not the way we people normally do things. But grace is the way Jesus always does things. Always. So this morning as we close, I, I want to look, I want us to look at what Jesus is inviting us into with this story. Listen, this story here, it's not an invitation by Christ saying, hey, you're an ungrateful idiot, so shape up and get a better attitude, okay? That's not what this story is. Some of us will receive that through our shame grid. No, 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 no. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is inviting us back into the joy of his grace. 
And so we can, if we want to, we can step right into that joy that Jesus has made available because it's real, it's available. So will you come? Will you come into his grace? For, for me, I had to ask myself when I was uh, looking at this message this week, I had to ask myself right here, Doug, will you give up your little kingdom, your little self-centered story? Will you accept the way of Jesus? Will you step into doing life and the story of God? And what about you? Will you, will you give up your little kingdom, your self-centered story? Will you accept the way of Jesus, the way of grace? Step into doing life the way he says it is to be done in his story, a story of love, a story of grace. See, because God's kingdom, his way, it's upside down, right? It is not typical uh, to what we normally think. But Jesus here says the first will be last, the last will be first. That's how things work in God's reality, his kingdom, his story. And that's good news, friends, for all of us. All of us. Because in truth, we are all five o'clock people. And the kingdom is for us. Worship team, will you come? As we move, um, I can think of a couple categories here. Those of us that maybe realize that we're more on that 7 o'clock people side, those of us that maybe get stuck on complaining or fairness, we get stuck with comparison. Friends, when we do that, we're missing out. We miss the joy. We miss the beauty. Because when we're busy comparing and being ungrateful, uh, we are unable to see and appreciate the gifts that are right there. In fact, if that stuff gets deep enough into us, that becomes resentment, and that experience of resentment can choke the life out of us. But this story is an invitation from Jesus for us to come home, to remember that we too are five o'clock people. Like this story goes straight to our hearts. We are all five o'clock people. And so amazing grace is for all of us. Amen? But the other group I think of is the five o'clock people. Because this story, it's really good news. If you're someone who has thought, yep, uh, it's too late for me. It's hopeless. I've blown it too bad. I've messed up too much. There is no chance. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. Jesus says, you too. You come too. You are invited into my vineyard. You are invited into my table. The five o'clock people, you come. And by the way, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, at least in the beginning, five o'clock people experience grace easier than anybody. So as we move into this closing song, let this song be an invitation to your heart that we are all five o'clock people. So we stand as we come as we are. <laughs>